Welcome to the Company of Believers podcast. We hope you will be blessed and encouraged by this message. Jesus bless you. Come and speak to us tonight. Come and just amplify your word to us by the Holy Ghost, Father. Father, I ask you to to reveal your Son to us in a new way tonight. Son, reveal the Father to us in a new way. Holy Ghost, stir us up and just make us hungry for Jesus. You are wonderful and your word is true and your path is true. It's tested and it's right, Father, and it's the way to everlasting life. It's the way to greener pastures and still waters. It's the way to the table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. Come on, Father, it's the, the highway known as the holy way that even the fool, once it gets in it, can walk. Come on, help us to get in that way and stay there, Father. I submit my life to you and your word once again, and I ask it to be the lamp that lights up the path for my feet. You are wonderful, Jesus. You're just so wonderful. You're so patient and long-suffering with us. Your kindness, Father. Your kindness is just like sunlight on my face. I bless you and I thank you. And I'd ask that we'd have ears to hear tonight and a heart to obey. Jesus, Jesus, y'all are welcome to sit down. Good evening, everybody. Hallelujah. Thank you, baby. Uh, did y'all enjoy last night? I did. Uh, I enjoyed my friend Jason Townsend. He 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 gets me amped up. He he spoke so much truth last night and this morning too. We we pray it out of our property on Living Waters at nine or eight o'clock every Tuesday morning. Everybody's invited, by the way, uh, in Marbury. But he spoke again to us this morning, and it was awesome too. I mean, it's just it's awesome walking with people who walk with Jesus. I just I mean I I want to be around people who challenge me. And who stir me up and make me make me hungry and make me understand there's more there's still more and uh, so that blessed me last night I, I'm gonna start where he started in Ephesians I'm gonna talk about the office of the evangelist tonight and I'm, I'm gonna touch on the office of the teacher briefly <clears throat> but I, I wanted to start to start in Ephesians, I really appreciated how Jason, he walked us through uh, chapter 4 in Ephesians, talking about the ascension gifts, referring to the offices given to the church. Jesus was going up, he was leaving the church in his physical presence, But he also gave us those gifts as he ascended the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the pastor. 
to steward the family of God into maturity. And, and I just really appreciate how he, he didn't stop where most of us stop, and I have been really guilty of that And listening to him last night. Uh, I really liked how he said, I'm just going to keep going until I get to the period. <laughs> that, that, that was pretty neat to me. I enjoyed that. I'm going to use that the rest of my life. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to just start right here and just read it again for us. In Ephesians 4, it says in verse 11, <clears throat> And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he gave these five offices. Then Paul begins to tell why, to equip the saints, for what? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part, I love that, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's just really amazing when you, when you read through the period, the definition you get, of the, the, the reason, the purpose, and the function of these five offices. And, and, I, and on the way over, we were talking this afternoon, and, you know, Brother DJ said a statement that all of us said, you know, believe. You know, you read this, you see how this is supposed to work and how it's supposed to function, and, and, and you know, and, and he just simply said, I want that. I want all of those things around me operating in my life, in my church, you know, basically is what he said. Because it's the gift of God to us. And so I want that. But how do I get it? <laughs> okay, we want it, but how do we get it? And I don't think we have to do anything to get it. I think what we're doing in these days right here and what the Word of God does for us when it goes down and it shows us these offices and how it looked as people actually lived them out, it's showing us how to identify those things when they begin to manifest around us. And instead of being ignorant, we're attentive to it and we're sensitive and we actually know what to look. They're identifiers. These verses, these days are to teach us how to identify those things in these people when they begin to manifest around us according to what Scripture says. Not what the guy with the business card has that hands you. Okay, we, we have to learn to let the Word of God be the identifier for the things of God. And see, if we will look at this as the plumb line, we really stay in a safe place. We stay in a safe place. And so I really in, enjoyed that because when you look at Ephesians 4.11, it starts talking about the five-fold ministry, as we call it. 
it, it shows you that everything they do, the reason they exist and were given to us was for us, to build us up, to edify us, to bring us into maturity, to, to help us grow up and quit being carried off by every doctrine of man and every deceitful plotting thing. It's actually to help us to become men and women of God that truly represent Christ. And everything they do is for the body, for the family. And see, if we understand that's the basic principle that these five offices exist, then it's easy to look around and, and, and begin to identify what's not this. Are you using a title? Are you using this, this office, supposedly, because you want to be seen, you want to be the star, you want everybody to come and bow down before you because you're so great and you have this gift. See, it's easy to look and see if people are actually operating in the definition of these things because everything they do is for everybody else and not for themselves. And so when you, you just, if you just keep Ephesians 4 and verse 11 at the heart of understanding then you can just look around. This person says he's an apostle. This person says he's a prophet. This person's an evangelist. Okay, well, are you actually doing what these, those people did in the Bible? Are you operating on the same principle for everybody else? And then you can really start culling things down. <laughs> okay, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it just helps us to recognize. And see, what we need to do is hear these things and hear the teaching that's given us straight from the Bible. And then when we understand this is the gift of God to us to become who we're supposed to be in our city, in our lives, in our families, then we're looking for that to be manifested. And when somebody begins to actually move in these offices around us, we actually can, uh, we can identify them and begin to receive them in that position and let them speak into our lives or operate around us in this calling. Instead of shoving it to the side because we don't do that. I, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Every good gift comes from above from my Father. And if he gave these as a gift to us, I want it. And if he's asked me to be one of these, I want to do it. And I, I started off in Matthew chapter 10, so I, I know the end result for for people who call them apostles more times than not. And it's not the life that we've been taught it is. I've read about the life of the prophets and how they end up cut in half in trees and how they're put in the dung, the, in the outhouse. <laughs> you know, I've read these stories. So most of these things don't end up in you getting glory. It ends up with you laying your life down and getting hung on a cross upside down. Or put on an island with a bunch of murderers and rapists. All right. Anyway. Jesus. I do want to talk about the office of evangel evangelist tonight. That, that, in the fivefold, it's, it's pretty interesting because there's only two places in the whole New Testament you find the word evangelist. Just two. And it's one of the fivefold ministries. But it's only mentioned twice in the Bible. And that's pretty interesting, you know. So they don't give us a whole lot to go with. In Acts chapter, um, we'll start in Acts chapter 21. And then we'll go backwards. 
In Acts chapter 21, Paul's making his way back to Jerusalem, and he stops in Caesarea, Caesarea. And, and he stays in the house of a man called Philip the Evangelist. It's the first time the word evangelist is mentioned in the Bible. And I'll just read it real quick, 21.8. It says, And then we went on to Caesarea and stayed for several days in the home of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven deacons. Uh, I'll just stop right there. So the first time we, we find somebody identified as an evangelist in the New Testament, it's Philip. And he's also the only person identified in the New Testament as an evangelist with that title. And you got to remember, most people think Paul's actually dictating this at this point. And so it's interesting because he's identified either if it's by uh, a Paul or by, by uh, Luke, right? Luke, Dr. Luke, yes. Who was also an apostle. Whoever's writing it, they're writing it from a place of authority. So if they said he was an evangelist, this is the evangelist. So let's go to Acts chapter 8 and let's look because what's amazing, he's called an evangelist here. But if you actually back up, you get to actually see why he was called an evangelist and what he did. It is extremely defined. So in Acts chapter 1, we're just going to walk through this because there's several things for us to understand here. And so what we need to understand is that what we normally call an evangelist is not scripturally correct. Just because you show up in a church and preach does not make you an evangelist. It doesn't make you wrong that you're showing up and preaching, but you're actually not being identified properly, according to the example of Scripture. And so when you look right here in verse 1, let's read it. They, the, the, the disciples had been, had been ran out of Jerusalem because of the persecution, and we, we're going to pick up right here with the story of Philip. I think it's verse 3. I, for some reason, I don't have my verse marked here. But it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and, and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. This is the account of Philip, the evangelist. What made him an evangelist? The, the word evangelist just means um, just a preacher, a preacher of the gospel. And so when we look at his life, we see him going into a city where there was no gospel, there was no knowledge of Jesus as the Savior. He goes in there and actually begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And through the preaching of the word of God, these people hear and begin to believe, and God begins to confirm his word with signs and wonders. People were healed, demon-possessed demon people were set free, and, you know, the other result that is amazing is that there was great joy in the city because the gospel brings great joy when it's received. With all the hardships that come with it and all the persecution and the tribulation you might have to walk through to get to the promise, it brings joy to your heart. And so the gospel that Philip brought, it produced that. 
And so you, you see right here, this is the scriptural definition of what an evangelist, according to the fivefold ministry, is right here. It's somebody who goes into a place where there's no gospel normally, and he begins to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to people who have not heard it yet. And that might be a, a, an over-strict definition, but it is the example we see right here. And the result is people begin to be born again. People begin to be healed. There, there's miracles. You know, I touched on this the other night, but you, you see a distinction because when you, you for some reason, none of my, my chapter and verse, my verse marks got marked in here. But when you go down through this account of, of, of Philip's ministry and his evangelism in this city, it's, you get down there and I don't see the number, so y'all just have to look it up. It says, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So right there, you see two different offices functioning together. The evangelist shows up. The evangelist preaches. People believe, people get born again, people are baptized. But then the apostles actually came and they began to, dis to, to release something that the evangelists had not yet. They brought an order that allowed the Holy Ghost to be, to be poured out. And that's really awesome. Because the same thing that Peter did when he was in the upper room in Jerusalem... He did the same thing with John when he showed up in this place. We don't know what he put in order exactly. We don't know what he had to move around to get just right so the Spirit of God could be poured out in a way that it had not yet happened. But him showing up with John, the apostles showing up, and their presence there, and whatever they said and did when they got there brought an order that allowed the Spirit of God to come that had not been released up to that point. So it's neat, you just see those two offices working together. They don't contradict each other. They're not in competition to each other. They don't oppose each other. They work together for what? For the body of Christ to be fully matured and raised up to do what? The work of the ministry. Why is the Holy Ghost given to people, as you read next one? So they can receive power for what? To be a witness. So they can actually manifest Christ to the world. Not so they can chuck and buck and talk in tongues. That's not why it's given. It's given so you can show Jesus to your generation. And talking in tongues is just a byproduct. It's a good one. And I don't despise it. But that is not the pinnacle. That is not the, that is not the point. And in most places where those things are, 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 are permitted, we have made that the pinnacle. And it's just not. Because you can talk in tongues and still not be a witness to your generation. You can talk in tongues and still have no power to walk outside of the doors and change your world. But as long as we talk in tongues, when we all get together, by God, we got it. No, you don't. Until power is manifested out of your life, you don't have it. The evidence 
of being baptized in the Holy Ghost with fire is that you get power to be a witness. That's the point. And so you see that when, when the apostles come, they didn't come to tell Stephen, or they didn't come to tell, I'm sorry, uh, Philip. Your mom was trying to speak Spanish. They didn't come to tell Philip that he hadn't done a good enough job. No, he had done his job. He was an evangelist. He opened it up. He preached the gospel. He won people to the Lord. And he actually put the people in a position to receive more from the, from the, from the family of God by the apostles coming. It's amazing because, you know, how did the apostles hear in Jerusalem what was happening? Stephen told them. I keep wanting to say Stephen. Philip told them. You know, we know Philip had a relationship with, with the apostles because he was one of the deacons in Jerusalem. He had been appointed by, by, by Peter and the others. He had been anointed to fill that office. There was a relationship there. And even though that he was sent into this village by the Holy Ghost, this town, and the gospel exploded because of him being there, he understand, understood Y'all need something I don't have to give you. I got to call the apostle to come. And he realized by them coming didn't make him less. He understood that I have done my job, but I need him to come now and do the role of the apostle and do his job so my family can continue to be strengthened and matured. See, it doesn't matter what office you work in. When we work together in the humility that we find in Ephesians and for the good of the family, we understand all of the offices, we need each other. Because we can't get the maturity and the understanding and the, and the, and the preparation done in the sons and daughters of God if we refuse to work together and recognize each other. And it's not a challenge it's not a competition. We don't get to have uh, pride over what we've done and think this is mine. No, you stay in Jerusalem and do Jerusalem. I'm here and I'll do this. No, he understood I need them. And what was the result of the humility of him asking for them to come? The Spirit of God was poured out on the sons and daughters that he had brought into the kingdom. You know, and y'all got children. Most of y'all have children just like I do. And does it bless you when somebody blesses your child? Yes. Does it not make you feel wonderful when somebody does something for your son or daughter that you physically did not have the ability to do for them? Man, it makes my heart rejoice. But do you know what I have felt at times when other people have blessed my children in a way maybe I didn't have the money to do, but God moved on somebody else's heart? Sometimes I have felt a bit of of jealousy because now my kids esteem that person and man that should have been me doing that but maybe it shouldn't have been maybe it was the plan of God for them to see that lots of people care about you and not just mom and daddy but I have felt that. I have felt that at times I felt the twinge of jealousy when I see them look with gratitude that way Thinking that should be my hook right there. I've been here all this time doing all this for you, and you ain't looked at me like that yet. I mean, because flesh is on my body just like it is yours. 
And see, those same dynamics at play in, in that situation always are at play also in the spiritual dimension of these things. But just like I have to check my flesh and say, that's wrong to feel that way. I need to be blessed that somebody cared about my son and daughter. It doesn't matter who did it. It's just awesome that they care about them. And I'm going to rejoice in that instead of be jealous like a, like a twit. And spiritually, that has to be the same way. Brother Jason was up here, and you know he moves mightily, and I believe he moves in the office of a prophet. I've been around him a while. I believe that. And, you know, everywhere I've ever been anywhere with him, when we've done ministry together in that, in that sort, I've never not seen the glory and power of God manifest. He carries glory. But I refuse to be jealous that something happens when he's here in a certain way, then it doesn't look just like it when I'm doing it. How selfish would that be for me to say, I ain't ever having that guy come back anywhere I'm around because, man, people like him too much. You know what I would be doing? I would be robbing you. God never intended one person to be the answer for everything. He wants us to understand that this is family. And that in the family, everybody has roles that they're supposed to fill. And when we walk in that and we understand that we are part of a family and we're supposed to give ourselves to that family and we do that, then the family is edified, the family is built up, and the work of the gospel begins to happen. Because everybody understands it's not just the bow show. Everybody has a, 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 a role to play. But we have been so taught by the systematic religion that we've subjected ourselves to that your job is to show up here, sit there, and listen to whoever the man of power is. And that's it. You pay your pastor to do the job. And you have no responsibility. <laughs> and the body's not built up. The saints are not built up, netified for the doing of the ministry. Because we're just here to look at you. And you're going to do the job. And then we're going to go home, and our world will stay the same. And that's not what you find here. It's an awesome display of humility because I've, I've gone into places like Philip and, and seen these same results, not in cities, but in villages. I've seen the miracles. I've seen that. I've seen the people born again. I've seen the gospel established. So I know what that's like in the pride that you feel, not, and I don't mean that in a wrong, I mean just the, man, God is doing that because I came. Because I obeyed, look what's happening, look at the people getting touched by God. And it's awesome when you understand that you are a vital part of God's plan. And it's necessary that we understand, we are a vital part of God having his way on this planet. There is nobody who is not a vital part of God's plan. And so when we understand that and we begin to move in that and we actually begin to see God backing us, we, we, we just got to gotta rejoice in that. But we also have to understand, I'm not the only vital person in this plan. 
I need everybody else to do their role. Even if it's the ones that I brought to the Lord, there are other people around me that have deposits of God in them to put in those people that I don't have. And if I really love you, I'm going to want you around those people so you can be matured and developed and come into the fullness of Jesus Christ in this place. Man, that's just good, y'all. But we've taught, no, we've got to protect what we got. No, 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 we can't, we can't let nobody else into the pen with us. Because what if they like me more than them? Well, they might. But that doesn't mean you're still not a vital part of the plan for that person's life. We're not doing this so people like us or don't like us. If everything hinges on how much they appreciate you, then you have become the sinner and not Christ. <laughs> and God has set this thing up that we don't become the sinner. He's got to remain at the center. So it's neat to see that interaction, you know, between the apostle and the evangelist in that setting. How the evangelist had to really humble himself and invite them people in to a work that he had done. This wasn't Jerusalem. This wasn't where Peter walked out of the upper room and talked in tongues and 3,000 people got saved. And, you know, th this is where he went. I did this. But even though I've done this, I recognize my limitations, and that now it's time for you to take the next step with the family. It's awesome, y'all. So I want to move forward just a little bit in the same chapter 8. You know, the apostles come. People are being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Awesome things are happening. I mean, you get down, and I said, I don't have my verses, so... You get down to this part where it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, Philip the evangelist, and beginning at this scripture, what did he do? Preached Jesus to him. So, in the first part of chapter 8, you see Philip the evangelist operating, uh, you know, and we don't know what that looked like when he went into this city, but you, you almost, it's given to us in a sense, he was ministering in a corporate fashion to lots of people. He was a real evangelist. He went into this place where there was no gospel, and he saw a city basically turning to God. But you see the same evangelist 
hearing the word of the Lord from the angel of God, laying all of that down and going out to the desert to be with one man who didn't even look like him, didn't live in the same place he lived, not going the same direction he was going. And he climbed in that man's chair and he did the same thing there that he did in Samaria. He preached the gospel to him of Jesus Christ. See, being a real evangelist can't not be defined on how many people you're talking to. The office of an evangelist is very specific. And we see two dimensions doing the same thing. Two, is that right? We see it in two different dimensions right here. Corporately, lots of people, but the same man doing the same thing with one like it was a million. Because God told him, go there and do that. See, somebody walks in the office of an evangelist, he hears the voice of the Lord, and he's allow, he allows the Holy Ghost to guide him where God wants him to go and preach the gospel. And it can be a city or it can be one person. It is irrelevant to a man who has matured in his office and is surrendered to the Holy Ghost. He doesn't, he doesn't decide how many people are going to be there on whether or not he should go. It's did God send him or did God not send him? Because this is totally contradictory to our human minds. There is a city, there is revival, there is miracles, there is everything happening that we want to happen. And God says, now, thank you, good job, now leave. There's somebody I need you to go talk to, God. I'm talking to thousands of people for you right now. Yeah, that's great, thank you, job well done. Right over there is one person. And it's going to be in a dry and dusty place. So you see a man who walks in the office of, a, of an evangelist, and he, you know, he, he might, and it's just like, like we were talking about when, when Matthew wrote about the apostles. He wasn't doing this because, oh, I'm in the office of an evangelist. He was doing this because that's what God told him to do. It was a natural gifting that had been deposited in him in his, in his born-again life. He was called to do that work. And we see him just walking in it. And, and I guarantee you, he probably did not have the title of evangelist in this moment. It was assigned to him later by whoever wrote this part. That's what I think. Just like Matthew went back and probably said, that's the day I became an apostle, and I didn't even know it. And it didn't look like we know the life of an apostle now in that moment, but it is when he was marked for it. He looked back and understood that's where it started. And then you follow that down through Scripture, and you see that, that calling and that gifting maturing in him through time and through the other apostles and when you get into the book of Acts and down through you actually begin to see what that really looked like but that's where it started and so you you see this man just doing simple acts of obedience to God and you see God backing him and that is such an amazing thing because we in our humanistic thought pattern and the way we've been taught to operate it it's numbers if you're successful like we were talking you know we have to we have to we have to grade on our work on how many people are involved how many people are in the seats and that's absolutely just not how God grades things God grades things and evaluates and decides if you're 
successful or not on your level of obedience. My Pat and uh, my, my pastor in Tuscaloosa, Brother Pat, uh, he got asked one time because he was always loving and nurturing and producing spiritual sons and sending them out to do the gospel and start churches. And somebody asked him one day, aren't you worried that they're going to become more successful than you? I mean, you're sending all these people out, and they're doing awesome things, and their churches are getting bigger than your church, and aren't you worried they're going to become more successful than you? And he just laughed. He said, they can never be more successful than me, just more obedient. Because he didn't, he, he, he didn't believe like everybody else. He understood God judges success off of your obedience. If that man would have stayed in that city with those many people that he had seen healed and set free, if he would have stayed there when God told him to go to the one, he would have been a failure. A failure. But because he went where there was nobody but one person, he was a success. But we would all look at him today and say, you're a fool. Don't you see what God's doing? Yeah, but God whispered to me that I have another mission now. And how about that? That man got to preach the gospel to one person, but that one person took that gospel to a nation. And it is one of the, it is outside of, of it's the oldest Christian nation in history, pretty much, Ethiopia. And where did it start? One man, an evangelist, being obedient, leaving the masses and going to the desert to preach the gospel. See, we've got success all mixed up in our minds. We have to actually begin to believe that God's purpose and plans and the offices that he's placed us in, he's going to judge us on obedience, not the end result of what everybody else thinks is right. And I can guarantee you that man was questioning and wondering, how is it? Why would you do this? But he knew the voice of the Lord had spoke to him. And as he climbed up into the chariot with that man and began to preach the gospel of Jesus to him, I guarantee you he felt more excited or just as excited as he did when he walked into that city and preached the gospel to everybody else that got born again. Because he felt the smile of the Father on him because of his obedience. Not because of the, the amount of people. See, we have, to, we have to live for the smile of Father on our face. And he is only interested in one thing. Will we just obey him? Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. The truest sign we have of love is obedience. It's trust. You know best. You love me. And I love you. And even though I don't know what you want and why you're asking me to do something that makes no sense to my mind, I love you, so I'm going. See, isn't that amazing just in, in, in the life of this one man, the first time the word of evangelist is mentioned, you see it to see these two different dynamics at play of what it can look like. And every time, you know, we call somebody an evangelist that coming into church for, for a week to preach, I mean, that's just, that's not that person's wrong and what they're doing is wrong, but that's not an evangelist. This is an evangelist. This is what an evangelist is. He's going somewhere where nobody else goes. He's preaching the gospel to somebody that nobody else is preaching it to. He's bringing the kingdom of heaven 
to bear on people who have yet to be exposed to it. That's an evangelist. Paul, we, I talked about this, I think, the other day, and we, we've been talking about it on the side, but Paul was an apostle ordained by God. But Paul also walked in the office of an evangelist. Look in, in um, Acts chapter 14. Let me just give you a quick example. In Acts chapter 14. See, the more we understand what these things look like, we can easily identify them. We can easily allow those things to come into our midst and be manifested, celebrated, honored, and respected because we understand these people are going to bring edification to us. These people are going to help us be who Jesus wants us to be. In, in Acts 14, let me just go to verse 8. This is just one example, but all of this story of Paul you find, you can see this. And in Acts 14, 8, it says, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. He was preaching the gospel. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, who was temple, was in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes, ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. Now, who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. So in that passage right there, it refers to Paul and Barnabas as, as apostles. But they're not walking in the office of apostle in that moment, in that situation. They are evangelists preaching the gospel where the gospel has never been heard. They were still apostles. But they're walking in the office of evangelists in this moment. The church would be established here. The gospel would be planted and then Paul moved into an office of apostle as he began to teach them the word of God, put things in order. When you read Paul's letters, what you're hearing is Paul the apostle. When you look in the book of Acts, you see Paul the evangelist starting these, 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 these churches by going into these places where nobody's preached before and giving them the gospel and the gospel being established in the hearts of men, churches being established, and Paul begins to minister to them in time in a completely different office. He's an apostle now. He's bringing order to the family of God where there's disorder. But you see him operating as an evangelist through the book of Acts. And the letters... Show us the apostle side of Paul. And, and these are just some simple, simple, man, this ain't trying to out anybody in the room or come up with some new um, amazing teaching that, you know, we, this is simple Bible. And so when we understand this is what these things look like, we can actually begin to operate in those and promote those things among us when we understand what they really are.
Hey, I don't want to promote somebody with a business card who don't want nothing but my money and wants to prophesy me happy or prophesy like Brother Jason said last night. I, I, I don't want that. I don't want somebody calling themselves apostle who just wants to come in and make themselves Lord over my life so they can feel more important and be more esteemed. But I do want people who have been putting my life to, to mature me, I want them to mature me so I can be who Christ wants me to be. And so we gotta, we got to look at these things and begin to understand the true definition of them and what, they, what, they are, what they're here for and what their function is. Um, I'm going to close. I, I, I'm going to touch just really briefly on, on teacher. Because as little as there is about an evangelist, there's less on a teacher. Um, it's a very common word in the New Testament. You, you know, when you read Ephesians about God giving some to be teachers, it's there. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, I'm just going to read this part and talk for just a minute. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, it says, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So Paul right here actually gives an order, first apostles, second prophets, and the third is teachers. That's pretty interesting, that order to me. But he's pretty specific about it. And we were talking last night, and, and as I have really meditated and thought about this, and the way I understand it is that the apostles are responsible for, for setting the order in the family. Prophets are responsible in that office for hearing the word of the Lord, speaking the vision and the purpose of of the word of the Lord. The prophet is responsible for recognizing when that's supposed to be put into play, how to make it happen, and making sure that order is established so the spirit of the Lord can come. A teacher being the third one given here, his responsibility is to understand what God's saying through the mouth of the prophet, understand what the apostle's trying to do by put that into operation, He's then there responsible to turn to the family of God and teach them why. To give them understanding. But he's third on this list because you understanding is not the most important thing. God, I, God's just not that important about you understanding before you obey. See, we got to know what God's saying. We got to know how to apply that. And then the teacher is supposed to come along and say, this is why we're doing this. This is why the Lord wants this. This is the purpose behind it. And he begins to teach what that is. Being a teacher in the office of a teacher that you find in Ephesians and right here in Corinthians is not somebody who teaches doctrine in the church on Sunday morning. That is teaching. But the office of a teacher, it is tied in with the prophet and the apostle. It is to give the understanding, the revelation and the understanding of why we're doing this, why God is saying this. Here is the understanding behind that. So that we begin to, after obeying, we can actually begin to understand the purposes of God in this and move with more confidence in it and actually begin to pull people along with us because we understand. And so we, we hear teacher, and it's just such a common term to us, 
well, we think anybody that stands up with the Bible and starts teaching out of, you know, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, well, that's a teacher. Well, it is. But that's not the same as the office of the teacher. It doesn't mean they don't do the same thing sometimes. But it's pretty specific. He has a specific role to bring a deeper understanding to the purposes and the structure of God to the family. Because God don't want us to be ignorant either. He's not, he's not locked up about us understanding so we can obey. No, he wants us to obey and then he'll give us some understanding. When I tell my children to do something, I don't want 20 questions. Start moving in obedience and I will begin to explain to you why. But if you stop before you move to ask me why, that means you're questioning why I'm telling you to do that. And we instantly have conflict. Because I don't mind telling you, but first I want to see you obey just because I told you to do it. Can't you just trust me that I'm not sending you out there to grab hold of a snake? Can't you just trust that what I'm telling you to do has a good reason behind it that's going to do life, produce life? I don't need you to question me. I can explain it to you, but first you've got to obey. It's my responsibility to make you understand what you're supposed to do. Uh, like, like the John Wooden quote says, if, if they don't know, it's because you ain't taught them. Talking about the coach. You know, if you're getting frustrated because your players aren't doing what they're supposed to do, it's because you ain't taught them what to do. And he put the responsibility on the person giving the instruction to be able to teach them what they're supposed to do. And, and it matters that we understand that obedience is the primary key with God. And understanding is given he commands us to cry out for wisdom and understanding he's not going to hold it back but what he wants is obedience and to me that that's the most simplistic way i can put the office of the teacher he brings the understanding to what the prophet and the prophet the apostle are actually putting into play and that's the third on the list not the first and uh, tomorrow brother john is going to talk on the pastor but uh, that, that to me is easy to understand what an evangelist looks like in the Bible. You don't find it but twice. And before I forget, now I've got to finish the last verse. Because uh, I was sitting in here last night, and uh, during all of this, and I don't remember what part it was, but God spoke to me pretty clearly is when you were laying on the ground, John. And in the second place you find the Bible, in the Bible, the word evangelist is in 2 Timothy 4, 5. And, and Paul, spiritual father, is writing to the spiritual son. He says, so be alert to all these things and overcome, overcome every form of evil. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling as a church planner and evangelist. Fulfill your ministry calling. And in the King James, New King James, what does he say? Do the work of an evangelist. When you were laying on the floor, John, and God's been on you about this for a while, I heard God say that to you. Do the work of an evangelist. Go where nobody else is preaching. I heard him say it clear as day last night. John, do the work of an evangelist. And that's not me saying something to you that ain't already stirred in your heart because we done had lots of conversations about it and you've already been moving in it. And God's saying, do the work of an evangelist. Don't mean you're not a pastor no more. 
It just means you do the work of an evangelist. That's what an evangelist looks like. How did he do that in that city? Oh my gosh, I, it didn't tell us. It just says he went. There's not no special formula to these things. There's obedience. There's little bitty baby steps of obedience that take us into the great big plan of God. And then we just turn around and look around. How in the world did I get here? It's because you just kept saying yes to the little bits that God was asking you to do. How did Ethiopia become the oldest nation, Christian nation on the planet? One man just saying yes to something that made absolutely no sense. And so there's not specific instructions on most of these things. We just get to see what happens when people obey God and what God deposited in them is manifested. See, if we understand what these things look like and we understand that these are the gifts of God to us as the body of Christ, we need to make place for those things. We need to allow those things to operate around us. We need to be able to identify them as they begin to bubble up and manifest in people. And we, meet, we, need, to, we need to, in coming arguments, we need to... Uh, commend them into this and we need to receive them into the family God in the position if you honor a prophet you get a prophet's reward if you honor an evangelist you get an evangelist's reward if you honor a pastor you, get, you know that goes on instead of saying well yeah I know it's in the Bible but we're not going to observe it because that's not what we do well that's why you are the way you are that's why you have what you have but if we'll submit to what God says then maybe we're going to get what God said we could have. I want this. Do the work of evangelists. Jesus, thank you. And I bless you. I ask you, Father, to just seal these things up in our heart with understanding. Father, just let the simplicity of your word just resonate and, and ring in our ears and give us eyes to to see these offices in our in our midst and give us eyes to recognize these callings in other people and in our own selves. I thank you, Father, for your gifts to your body, to your sons and daughters. I thank you that you desire to grow us up and not leave us as babes just getting carried off by every trick, every form of trickery. I don't want a lesser thing. I want the greater. And your way is the greater. And I thank you for it, Father. And I bless you. Bless your children. Thank you for listening to Company of Believers podcast. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to sow into this ministry, please go to www.companyofbelievers.com and select you. Thank you for listening.